Chapter 2, Assessment Capable Visible Learners Know Their Current Level of Understanding. Maria Gomez and Jessica Avalos are comparing their spelling tests. They are in third grade, and their teacher, Marcelo Contreras, uses a differentiated approach for his students to learn to spell words. The students completed an assessment at the beginning of the school year, which estimated their developmental learning skill, spelling skills and identified word patterns they still needed to learn. This served as a starting place for students to further develop their spelling prowess. Maria is on lesson 14, which focuses on our controlled vowels, and there are 18 words on her list, including stork, storm, market, partner, and artist. Jessica is on lesson nine, which focuses on words with ow sounds, including clown, round, power, thousand, and mountain. Each day during the week, students quiz each other on their word list. For each lesson, Mr. Contreras has the words on slips of paper, so the words can be shuffled. Each day, the practice quiz occurs in a random order. The daily spelling quiz allows students to assess their, develop, their developing understanding and focus on the words that they really need to learn, Templeton, 2003. The students self-check their spelling after the quiz, circling right on the word any place where a letter is missing, a letter was incorrectly added, or if the letters were transposed. They also grade themselves on each spelling word, not the whole list so that they can monitor which words they have mastered. They give themselves an A if the word is spelled correctly, a B if there is one error in the word, and a C if the word contains two errors. Mr. Contreras knows that students can read words that, to their partners that they may not be able to spell on their own. Listening to Maria and Jessica highlights the first characteristic of assessment-capable visible learners. They recognize which words they have mastered, and which words they still need to learn. They also know that there is no bad place to be in terms of current learning, and that everyone is focused on getting better. Mr. Contreras works to develop a learning climate where progress, not status, is celebrated. As part of their conversation, Maria asks her partner which words she spelled correctly. This leads to a discussion about patterns and areas to study. Here's part of their conversation. Jessica. I got 11 of them right. That's way better than yesterday when I just got six. I got all of the owl ones right, plus clown, but I already knew that word because I really like clowns and my dad takes me to see them. Maria. You did really good. That's a lot for one day. Where did you get the other ones wrong? Jessica. In most of them, I put O-U and not O-W. I have to study and learn the ones with the O-W because they sound like the O-U words that I've been learning. Plus, I missed coward. That's a bonus word, but I want to get it right. See, I spelled it C-O-U-W-O-R-D. So I got a C on that word, but I got a B on all the other words. Maria, that's good, right? You have 11 A's, 6 B's, and 1 C. What's your goal for tomorrow? Jessica. I think I will get 17 right. I might not yet get coward right, but I'll try. I have to practice the OW words with my mom so that I can get out of lesson nine. Maria. Now let's talk about mine. 
it's not so good. I only got two A's, but that's really not fair because I already know horse and march. So really, I didn't get any better from yesterday. I think that I need to practice these more. When we're done with writing workshop, can you practice these with me again? I don't want to wait till tomorrow. This example came from a third grade classroom and it focused on spelling. But from our perspective, all students should understand their current level of performance or current level of understanding for anything that their teachers teach or that they want to learn. Assessment capable visible learning starts with an understanding of what you already know. It's important for students to recognize that they already know a lot and that learning is not starting from scratch for every lesson. Assessment capable visible learners also need to revise their thinking about their current level of understanding as the lesson progresses. They need to recognize that they are learning and what they have mastered is important. In doing so, students are motivated to continue to expend the effort required to learn. The starting point for students to know their current level of performance is in the development of confidence in their teacher. When students have confidence in their teacher, they trust that it is acceptable to not know some things and that their teacher is dedicated to closing the gap between what they already know and what they need or want to know. Confidence in the teacher. Learning is a risk-taking endeavor. It requires that the learner put her faith in the teacher's ability to lead. The credibility of the teacher inspires confidence and a willingness to be open to risk. It is also a source of motivation for the student to draw on when the learning is difficult or when a setback occurs. Being able to tell herself, I know my teacher knows what he's doing, so I'll be okay, speak to, speaks to the trust that she has in her teacher. Teacher credibility involves three constructs, competence, character or trustworthiness, and perceived caring. Finn, 2009. The first, competence, is related to the teacher's projected subject matter knowledge and ability to organize instruction. Nancy recalls her six-year-old daughter's assessment, assessment of a substitute teacher's first day. Nana, she doesn't know the right math. The second construct, which is character, includes perceptions of fairness and respect. John recalls one of his sons saying that a teacher treated everyone the same. When asked how, John's son said, it's not like we all get the same rewards or punishments, regardless of what we do. There is no fairness in that. The third, which is caring, is understood by students to include responsiveness and nonverbal actions, such as eye contact, smiling, and open and inviting body language. Maria and Jessica have confidence in Mr. Contreras because he has earned a reputation with them of being knowledgeable, organized, fair, and optimistic of his, about his students' learning. On the other hand, Doug recalls a professor of his who said, I don't know how you're going to learn this, but it's on the midterm. Middle school English teacher Soraya Garcia Estrada actively works at building credibility with her students. I work with homeless children and gaining their trust can be challenging, she said. Ms. Garcia Estrada exhibits all of the expected behaviors of a caring teacher, greeting students and their families at the door, kneeling down at eye level when talking privately to a child, 
and interacting with them in an affectionate way. But the teacher understands that if she is going to ask her students to take academic risks, she needs to do more than make them feel safe and comfortable. Ms. Garcia Estrada says, I will often tell my sixth graders, we're going to do something that only eighth graders usually get to do or remind them about the gains they've made this year already. When meeting with Rodrigo, a student not yet achieving at expected levels, Ms. Garcia Estrada began by reviewing his reading scores. Let's look for the big jumps you've already made. I see one right here. Between December and February, you moved up two levels in reading. That's something to celebrate. The teacher then asks Rodrigo what he did to be so successful. Rodrigo replies that he was starting to read aloud to his baby sister, but that lately he hadn't been able to because of other family circumstances. I can see why that would help, said the teacher. Why don't we do that right here at school? I'll ask our first grade teacher if she has a student who could be a reading buddy for you to tutor. Would you be willing to do that? I would love to recommend you for this important job. The boy smiles and nods yes. In the span of a short conversation, she had built trust, expressed optimism, and displayed immediate responsiveness. But she also got Rodrigo to consider his own learning and what might help him become a more successful reader in the future. By adding this element, Ms. Garcia Estrada helped this student become more confident in himself as a learner. When students have confidence in their teachers, they are ready to learn about what they don't know. In other words, they are ready to confront the limitations of their current levels of understanding. Without confidence in the teacher, students often misbehave rather than ask for help or let others know that they don't understand. As Randy, a ninth grader, once said to a teacher he came to trust, in middle school, I would rather be bad than stupid. I knew when I didn't understand something, but when that happened, I caused problems because I didn't want anyone else to know, even the teachers, because I didn't think they cared about me. Here in this class, it's okay for me to tell people that I don't understand because you always say, there's no bad place to be as long as you are learning. And it's true in here. Everyone is at a different place and we're all learning. So I can tell the truth about and ask for help when there are things that are confusing to me. Yes, recognizing when you don't know something is an important part of becoming an assessment capable, visible learner. As Randy noted, he knew his current level of performance in middle school, but was unwilling to share it with others because he did not trust the adults in his learning environment. However, his confidence in his teacher and in the psychological safety of his ninth grade classroom enabled him to open himself up to learning. He was able to drop some of his defensive stance, setting the stage for reflecting on his learning rather than perceived character flaws. Recognizing when you don't know something. Jessica, one of the students in the opening scenario, was able to articulate what she didn't know about her spelling words. Randy indicated that he often knew what he didn't know, although he was unwilling to share it with others. A further challenge is that some learners don't know what they don't know. Posing challenges and questions are useful for causing students to consider an idea they had not previously considered. The ability to recognize when you don't know something is an element of metacognition, which is thinking about one's own thinking. Flavel, 1985.
The ability to think metacognitively helps us make decisions about our own learner learning. And learners who are metacognitively aware are accurately able to articulate their own strengths and plan for the use of strategies. But metacognition is not unilaterally present. Its relative presence or absence is influenced by the learner's knowledge and can in fact be discipline specific. Zohar and David, 2009. Metacognition includes knowledge of strategies, which we will discuss further in chapter four, as well as knowledge of the task. When learners don't know much about the task at hand, they need guidance in delineating what the next learning task is going to involve. As we will note in the next chapter, learning intentions and success criteria can accomplish this. The ability to perceive the difficulty of a task is necessary in order to choose the steps required to be successful. It also prevents overestimation of one's ability to complete a task, a phenomenon that can occur when a learner has low ability but is not able to recognize her own lack of skill. Kruger and Dunning, 1999. This bias towards one's own skill level expresses itself in daily life too. In one study of U.S. drivers, 93% of those surveyed gauged their own skills in the top 50% of all drivers. Svensson, 1981. Asking students about their estimations of task difficulty, both before and after assignments, can foster their ability to more accurately calibrate their internal gauge. 10th grade teacher Felipe Sanchez provides such opportunities for his students on math tasks. When assigning work, he asks students to review the task and answer three questions in writing about the assignment. What will be the easiest part of this assignment? What will be the most difficult? And how much time do I expect it will take me? After they finished the task, I ask them to respond again to these three questions, this time after the fact, said Mr. Sanchez. I want to build their ability to estimate what it will take to finish it and then compare their predictions to their conclusions and results. For students focused on spelling, each had an opportunity to consider what they knew and did not yet know. Further, they had a clear sense of what the task would entail and they had engaged in this task many times. Maria and Jessica were able to make generalizations about their learning and draw conclusions about what they needed to focus on next. Metacognitive awareness. Metacognition, defined as thinking about one's own thinking, includes recognizing when one doesn't know something. The ability to be aware of what one doesn't know is mediated by age and younger children have a more limited capacity to do so than older ones. But limited doesn't mean not at all. Instructional routines that prompt self-questioning assist young children in noticing what they do and do not know. Importantly, instructional routines can move students forward in planning what they need to know next in order to answer their questions. Diana Mendoza uses a see, think, wonder language chart to promote metacognitive thinking in her kindergarten students. After reading Houses and Homes, Mrs. Mendoza turned her students' attention back to the photographs in the book, featuring houses throughout the world. 
the students were particularly intrigued with the image of houseboats at the foot of the Himalaya mountains in India. Sensing their interest, she used this tool, which the children had used many times before, to foster their metacognitive thinking, especially to recognize their own knowledge. See figure 2.1. She asks them first just to report on what they see in the photograph by looking carefully at each quadrant. Mrs. Mendoza records their thoughts in the first column as children describe the mountains in the upper two quadrants of the photograph and the water and a houseboat transporting sand in the lower half. Next, she asks her students about their thinking as they examine the photograph. I think the people use their boats to work and live because there is a bedroom and there are people buying things, offers Oliver. Can you give me an example of other places where people would both live and work at the same place? The teacher asks. Oliver thinks for a minute and then says, well, my grandpa has a camper and he has all his, his stuff in it. He lives in it for the weekend when he comes to visit and he does his carving in there too. Other students add that it might be like if a police officer lived in her cruiser or an airplane pilot lived on board. Now that's a really interesting idea, Mrs. Mendoza says. Oliver's example of his grandfather is a bit like the people in this photo because their house moves too, but it is different because they are using it for work. The police officer and pilot use their vehicles for work, but it would be hard for them to live in too. Freddie giggles. Where would they put the kitchen? After writing their partial examples in the second column, she moves on to the third. This seems really unique. We haven't thought of any examples that are just the same. So what questions do you have now? What would you ask these people if you could? Now the questions come quickly and she lists them on the language chart. How much room do you have for sleeping and cooking? Where do the children go to play? How old do you have to be to drive the boat? The mountains look cold. Is the water cold? Do you have a pet? Miss Mendoza looks at their chart of questions and says, you've come up with some great topics that we don't know yet. How could we come up with some of these answers? With help from their teacher, the students add that they can read about life in the region. And one student speculates that we could search for a video on YouTube because they probably have that there too. Later, their teacher remarks, developmentally, these metacognitive habits are still a few years away but habits are built through practice. I'm always impressed with how insightful they are. They just need outlets to express it. And most of all, I want them to appreciate that not knowing something is a chance to wonder and investigate. Assessing in advance of instruction. One pitfall in getting comfortable with a grade level or discipline is the risk that you've seen it all before. After all, a decade of teaching the same age group can lull one into a false sense of security about students' prior knowledge. Prior knowledge is a strong predictor of future performance, less so in the primary grades, but growing in significance throughout high school. Hattie and Donahue, 2016. But each cohort of students has its own idiosyncratic knowledge base, and one sixth grader isn't representative of every sixth grader. What does come with experience 
is the ability to make more precise predictions about likely misconceptions students possess and the ability to think like a novice. Common misconceptions abound and astute teachers know how to directly address them. The relative inability to predict misconceptions and understand how novices approach new concepts is referred to as the expert blind spot, Nathan and Pastranio, 2003. The researchers found that inexperienced secondary mathematics teachers had difficulty in translating what they knew as experts into sequential steps that would be understood by math novices, i.e. their students. Nathan and Pastranio's findings, by the way, have been replicated in studies involving other disciplines and grade levels. Some of this comes from experience, but that will only take you so far. Assessing what students know in advance of instruction will throw light on the gap between where they are and where you want them to go. Close assessments. There are a number of techniques teachers can use to assess students' prior knowledge. One technique is a close assessment. Taylor, 1953. Close assessments use a 250-word passage that captures the major concepts for a unit of study that has yet to be taught. Every fifth word from the passage is deleted, leaving the first and last sentences intact. Students fill in the missing words. Make sure they understand that this isn't a test, but rather an assessment you are doing to make instructional decisions and score accordingly. 60% correct or above indicates the student possesses a strong knowledge base about the topic. 40 to 59% correct indicates they have some background knowledge and are ready for future instruction. 39% correct or below indicates the student might have gaps in background knowledge that needs to be addressed. The numbers may seem artificially low, but keep in mind that you are not supplying them with a word bank and that some of the incorrect responses will involve substitutions that do not change meaning. Example, A for one. The length of a passage or the rate of deletions may be adjusted based on a student's age or language proficiency. For example, second grade teacher Angel Angelica Norris constructed a shorter passage and deleted every seventh word for her students before teaching a social studies unit about maps. See figure 2.2. The underlined words are those that will be deleted on the student version. I wrote a passage of 116 words that captured some of the important concepts I will be teaching toward for the map unit I'll begin next week, Miss Norris explained. I take out every seventh word so they can use more contextual clues, but I don't give them a word bank. The bonus is that I can also see if there's anyone who is making syntactical errors since those tell me something about their grammatical knowledge of the language. Her purpose is for assessment isn't only measurement. It also serves as an advance organizer for their learning. I describe these closed assessments as learning maps, Miss Mendoza said. It's a guide for their future learning. In order to do so, the teacher recognizes that the information can't remain only with her. If I was the only one who kept the results, it would limit the insight that my students can gain from recognizing what they do and do not know. I give this back to them 
and from time to time throughout the unit, we return to this early assessment. We discuss how our growing knowledge helps us to better complete this learning map. Self-assessment. Assessments in advance of instruction can activate background knowledge, an important factor in knowing what you know and don't know about a topic, and help students identify what they already understand. Seventh grade humanities teacher Keith O'Neill has his students self-assess their own knowledge and experiences in advance of a unit on the history of theater. See figure 2.3. I like these self-assessments because it gives me an idea of what their experiences have been. But even better, it gets them thinking about what they've done and sort of forgot about, he said. What I really like is when I hear one of my students whispering under his breath as he's taking this, saying, oh yeah, I did do that. However, these assessment approaches have diminished impact if students are not included in reviewing the results. It really is surprising how often students take assessments only to see scores, rather than afforded the chance to analyze the, their performance. Students own their data, not teachers. The third graders in the scenario at the beginning of the chapter were encouraged to analyze their performance so they could make plans for their future learning. Without opportunities to do this kind of analytical thinking, students have a much harder time recognizing what they don't know. Another method for determining the prior knowledge of students while alerting them to what they do not yet know is to prepare a short quiz for students to complete. For example, students can take a brief pre-assessment quiz on upcoming content and score their responses in order to alert them to what they don't know about the next unit of study. Another method is to provide students with a partially completed content map, illustrating the conceptual relationships about future content. Students can revisit these maps and add more details during the unit, thereby witnessing their own developing learning. Similarly, students can list the vocabulary they initially associate with a new topic of study using an ABC chart. As a pre-assessment in advance of a unit on bats, the second graders in Liz Harmon's class listed terms such as flying, wings, and vampire. After two lessons on the topic, the children independently added additional terms such as mammal, fruit, and insects. At the end of the week-long unit, students returned to their ABC charts and were invited to add new terms. Miss Herman now saw occurrences of words like nocturnal, roost, and colony. I like using ABC charts because they get to see their own growth as they add new words, she said. I'm not giving them the words to copy. They are determining which words to add although I give them assistance with spelling, said the teacher. Miss Herman explained that she challenges her students to use as many of the terms as they can in their summary writing by doing a written summary before, during, and at the end of the unit, they get to see how their knowledge has grown. Self-ranking. Most curriculum materials include a list of major outcomes or objectives for the unit of study but how often do we share those with our students? 
Use these lists with students in advance of instruction by inviting them to rank the objectives according to perceived difficulty. Washington State fifth grader Karen, fifth grade teacher Karen Jansen uses state curriculum unit outlines for students to rank order the standards associated with each unit. Before a unit titled The Legacy for Us Today, Ms. Jansen shared the grade level expectations and asked each student to rank them according to perceived difficulty. I, can, I understand that significant historical events in the United States have implications for current decisions and influence the future. I can evaluate how a public issue is related to constitutional rights and the common good. I understand that civic participation involves being informed about how public issues are related to rights and responsibilities. I can research multiple perspectives to take a position on a public or historical issue in a paper or presentation. I can evaluate the relevance of facts used in forming a position on an issue or event. I can change, I can engage others in discussions that attempt to clarify and address multiple viewpoints on public issues based on key ideals. I can prepare a list of resources including the title, author, and type of source, date published, and publisher for each source, and arrange the sources alphabetically. I change these into I can statements and review them with the class, then have them put in rank order from most difficult to least difficult, using the survey tool in our school's learning management system, she explained. I get the results which helped me to target instruction and supports and differentiate a bit more precisely, Ms. Jansen said. But it also has a great effect on students too. They're actively thinking about their current knowledge and skills and making a plan for where they will need to devote more time and effort, she said. I also have them revisit their rankings as we get nearer to the end of the unit so they can decide how accurate they have been in predicting their current status and what it took to be successful.